I met my next romantic partner on a commercial shoot in Louisiana back in 2015. We hit it off pretty quickly, and to the surprise of everyone, we moved in with each other within six months. The whole relationship was tainted for reasons I don't want to go into, but despite the problems, I'm certain our time together was planned in the stars. Though I was still unable to say I was psychic in public, I had come to a point where it was impossible to stifle it at home or in my close relationships. I opened up to him about my extrasensory experiences by the end of our first date. Lucky for me, he loved Marvel Comics, making the thought of his partner having superpowers very exciting. On a trip to his hometown of San Francisco, I performed a reading for his god sister while he was sitting in the room with us. When I was done, she was so impressed it fully convinced him of my talent. From then on, he encouraged me to explore further and to take on clients professionally. You might think this would be the butterfly moment of my story. I was dating a very successful actor who, at the start, supported my decisions and applauded my progress. I'd moved out of my small studio into his beautiful one-bedroom apartment with a lovely backyard and a sweet old pit bull. I was still making good money from acting and had now been signed to an even better agency that could get me into even more auditions. The conditions seemed perfect for a beautiful emergence, but with new awakenings come new challenges. I started smoking a lot of weed. My partner was a marijuana connoisseur, so soon after I moved in, I had picked up the habit. The last time I smoked was back in high school. Whatever healing weed was supposed to offer was lost on me then. I was doing everything I could to rebel, smoking weed, drinking alcohol, popping pills, staying up until the morning, sexual interactions, and so on. Unfortunately, none of it felt good, but I had no other way of expressing my anger and frustration. But I had tamed myself so much since then. I told myself I was no longer in my childhood home. I was safe with my partner in our cozy New York apartment with no threats anywhere. Plenty of people had told me of the benefits of weed, and I had been open to healing since I was introduced to ayahuasca the previous year. I was ready for the answers, ready to free myself of my irrational mood swings, exhaustive depression, and debilitating fears. So I started taking the medicine. During the first year of smoking, weed brought up all of my unconscious thoughts. For the first time, I was able to sit with them and objectively listen, unflinching, letting the torpedoes land on my heart. I would talk down to myself, fixate on my mom's pain and my dad's apathy. I talked myself into deep loneliness and self-loathing, calling myself names, convinced I was worthless. I would sit there, high, passively watching this internal boxing match. There were no peace talks, not even a defensive stance, just a bunch of thoughts endlessly punching each other to death. I started to read books on spirituality, healing, and astrology, trying to understand myself. 
Every morning, I'd pick a random page from the book Gene Keys, Embracing Your Higher Purpose, to infuse myself with courage and wisdom. Before I fell asleep, I'd stumble through a trance-channeled book, Seth Speaks, The Eternal Validity of the Soul, Hoping for Enlightenment. I started meditating more often, studied tarot daily, and called spirits closer to me. I began reading people sober and on a more regular basis in an effort to face my fears of insanity. I eased my mood swings by dancing out the emotions to wilder minds by Mumford and Sons. I was looking for peace anywhere I could. This search led me to the book The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. It was the first time I read stories that I related to. People obsessed with their childhoods and their parents, going through roller coaster emotions, feeling detached and then overwhelmingly angry, aching depression and thoughts of self harm, constant self loathing, fear of abandonment, and a lack of trust. These triggers and emotions stemmed from what Kolk's group identified as DESNOS, Disorders of Extreme Stress Not Otherwise Specified or what we know as CPTSD, Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Though this diagnosis has not been included in the DSM, I believe people who suffer from this mental pressure can agree it's very real. To understand it a little better, I'll quote a small section of the book. If you cannot tolerate what you know, or feel what you feel. The only option is denial and dissociation. Maybe the most devastating and long-term effect of this shutdown is not feeling real inside. When you don't feel real, nothing matters, which makes it impossible to protect yourself from danger. Another book that helped me understand my trauma and how to treat it was Eastern Body, Western Mind by Anodia Judith. Her vast knowledge of both Western psychology and the chakra system helps deepen the understanding of how our energy manifests in our body and behavior depending on the environment we grew up in. These two books gave me the footholds I needed to climb the mountain of healing no longer was I weak. I was just stuck. It was around this time that I joined a Christian cult. They had approached me all over the city in previous years, always different people preaching about a mother or a goddess figure in the Bible. I'd brushed them off before, but now I found myself in a vulnerable mindset searching for answers. They happened to approach me two blocks away from my apartment, offering studies at a meeting space only six blocks away. I was more than curious. Was this a message from God? Was I being led to work with the goddess within the religious beliefs of Christianity? I started coming by about once a week, listening to their extensive teachings that built one on top of the other, into a pretty elegant story. If anything, the months I spent with them were fascinating to observe and digest. They followed the teachings of the church's founder, 
who claimed to have cracked some code in the Bible. It was far less about a goddess than I had hoped, but I wanted to hear them out. Like I said in a previous episode, I was raised in the Unitarian Church, one that preached humanity over religious expectations, so their charity towards their members kept me intrigued. I'm sure they would never call themselves a cult, but it was pretty clear everyone had to drink the Kool-Aid. Every conversation was about the Word of God, and every moment was dedicated to the teachings. Even if I had it in me to fully invest in a belief system, I can't get behind any faith that believes they're exclusively getting into Heaven's gates. That, and I could have never told my mother, a religion teacher, about them. She would have ripped their theories to shreds. So I left almost as quickly as I arrived. But what I found most intriguing during my time there was how much the pagan goddess symbol, specifically Ishtar, the original mother, the goddess of Venus, who would show up on the Ouija board in college, was showing up while I was regularly attending this church. Someone would send me an article that mentioned her, or I'd stumble upon her name while spending a whole day rummaging through occult and mythological websites. One such appearance happened on the day I was baptized. They insisted that baptism solidified the connection with God, allowing the Bible and sermons to come alive in my heart as well as my mind. I wanted to know if that was true, so I went ahead and got baptized. They snapped a picture of me and whisked me off to a sermon back in our neighborhood so I could experience my newfound intimacy with God. I didn't feel anything, but what I did notice was a huge Venus symbol on the back of a woman's neck who was sitting in the front row. Maybe the goddess was fighting for me. Though in the end, this Christian group never offered me the perspective I was looking for, one experience would soon open my mind in a way much more suited for me. In 2017, a friend of mine gave me a call out of nowhere. We struck up a friendship at a birthday party a few years back, developing a close bond over time. When we first knew each other, she enjoyed recreational drugs, but as the years went on, she pursued healing modalities through psychedelics. She called me to ask me if I knew anything about ayahuasca and if I'd ever thought about attending a ceremony. It had been two years since I heard about ayahuasca and suddenly here she was on the phone. In the next episode, I'll take you through my experience with ayahuasca. But for now, we'll move on to the sixes. The sixes in the minor arcana represent rest and renewal. When you pull a six, you're receiving a gift of transformation. This gift is determined by the element of the suit. Numerology labels six as transition and healing. They are the last cards in grouping two, emitting strong, continual energy. The Six of Wands is about recognition and achievement. You fought the competition and rose above them all. The key to this card is fan support. People are sharing your photos or business information. They're telling their friends and showing up to whatever you're offering. Everyone is applauding your rightful place on top. When I pull the Six of Wands in a reading, I know the person is excelling somewhere in their life. 
they've been hoisted on someone's shoulders with everyone cheering them on. They feel good about their achievements and feel up to the task of leader. This renewal of spirit will allow them to create with confidence. When I pull the Six of Wands for myself, I know I'm going to be praised for my talents and decisions. I'm feeling confident about myself and my vision. I'm being supported by those around me, both clients and colleagues. I can expect my choices to be received positively and maybe even bring me more recognition and support. The Six of Cups represents kindness and innocence. There's a relationship here that's pure of heart. This can often show up as memories of someone or a time in your life that was filled with love and genuine goodness. You could be looking at old photos or receiving a call from a special friend. You could be in love with someone who truly loves you too, enjoying moments of caring and closeness. This card also represents children, people from the past, and soulmates. When I pull this card in a reading, I know this person is enjoying or reminiscing on a sweet and innocent relationship. They're being cared for and loved as they are. This could show up as a kindred spirit, a healthy work environment, or a purely loving relationship. Someone could have come back into their life that they share beautiful memories with. When I pull this card in my own reading, I'm feeling seen and heard. I could be confessing to someone who's deeply empathetic or find time to catch up with an old friend. I could be given a sincere compliment or assisted by someone who cares about me. There's a warm, fuzzy feeling that comes from these moments, so I try to take them in when they appear. The Six of Swords represents leaving a conflict behind. Whatever battles you were fighting, you're not going to win them. All you can do is save yourself. You want peace in your life, and that may take you walking away. This allows for closure, which leads to a renewal of the mind. You can look back one day and learn from these difficult lessons. This also indicates moving physically over water or searching for a home somewhere that feels right to you. When I pull this card in a reading, I know the person is leaving a troubling situation behind for good. It could be from a relationship, a tough neighborhood, or a harsh family dynamic. There's a need for peace and quiet. They're escaping from something that wasn't going to change, looking for refuge in calmer places. There's a lot to learn from where they've been, but it can only be integrated away from the chaos. When I pull this card in my own reading, I'm letting go of whatever was troubling me. This card still warns me more problems could arise, but solutions will arise as well. I'm not meant to feel totally in the clear, but calm during the process. The Six of Pentacles represents assistance and generosity. You could receive help or offer it. This shows an honest exchange with no strings attached. Maybe you decide to help a friend with money or your time. Maybe you receive solid advice or helpful tip. Whatever it is, you can trust that the gesture has no expectations of a return. When I pull this card in a reading, I know the person is benefiting from generosity or helping another in need. This dynamic is usually between someone who's doing very well and someone who's not. The person who's doing well wants to give the other person a leg up by way of financial support, connections, 
or any other value they have to offer. This may go on for some time until the other is able to stand on their own two feet. When I pull this card in my own reading, I watch out for advice or assistance that could come my way. Maybe someone offers their time and energy, or maybe I receive an email or stumble upon a website that has something I need. I may be asked to help someone else in some way that makes us both feel good. Please continue with your exercise, and I'll see you at the next episode. Blessed be. Blessed be.